I would change one word in that song. I need you every hour. No, I need you every moment. I need the Lord every moment of my life. Teenagers may be excused. Alma will be teaching them today. I think one way we express our need for God is through prayer, which is at the heart of our text tonight. And in this passage that we're going to be reading is a powerful, powerful story by the master story teller himself, Jesus. Jesus frequently spoke in parables. And there was a number of reasons why he spoke in parables. It was to illustrate spiritual reality. So that's what a parable is. It's an earthly story. If you never knew what a parable was, this is a parable. It's an earthly story about a spiritual reality. And that's what Jesus spoke a lot of times, in spiritual reality. And the ones who did not understand it were the ones who, was, who rejected Christ and their hearts were hardened. And the ones who didn't understand but wanted to understand would go to Jesus and Jesus would explain to them and then they would understand. And in this particular parable, Jesus is encouraging his disciples and us to pray earnestly and never to lose heart. And how he does it is by comparison and contrast. If the reluctant action of an unjust judge, which we'll read about, hears the pleas of a persistent widow, how much more will a just and loving father hear the cries of his children? So please stand with me as we read God's word. We're in Luke 18. Beginning at verse 1, we'll go through eight, ver- eight verses. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought, not to, they ought, ought to always pray and never to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We, I, I, my prayer, God, is that we understand this text, that we would learn to pray and to pray earnestly. And to never lose heart. That you are a God who hears and answers prayers to the cries of your children, your elect. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So in the 1800s there was a man, he was a missionary, he was an evangelist, his name was George Mueller. And George Mueller was a very, very gifted man in faith. He had an orphanage and the buildings that he purchased and the food that he had 
for the orphanages, for the orphans, and, and all the supplies that he needed. He never once asked anyone for anything, but he prayed. And it was in the neighborhood of something like $7 million back in the 1800s that he received but never asked anyone for a dime. If he needed milk for the orphanage, he would pray. And guess what? The next day, the milk was there. (laughs) Things like that happened. I read his autobiography, and it was a fascinating autobiography. Well, in the 1800s, George Mueller prayed for five friends. And he began to pray, and after five years, one of them came to Christ. After ten years, two of them came to Christ. And then he just kept praying and praying. And after a few years after that, the fourth one came to Christ. And then he finally died. And the fifth one came to Christ after he died a few months later. What persistence. And by the way, he prayed a total of 52 years for that one who came to him after he died. 52 years. That's persistence, folks. That's the kind of persistence the Lord wants from all of his children. And we, too, need to pray and not to give up like George Mueller. For most people, prayer is defined like this. I pray when I need it. However, in our story tonight, we see something much different than pray when needed. Jesus is telling us to pray persistently and not to lose heart. Now, I've been a Christian long enough to know that Christians lose heart. They give up. It's too long. I've been waiting too long to, for, for this answer to my prayer. And, God, and Jesus is encouraging us, don't lose heart. George Mueller is a perfect example. 52 years praying and the soul came after his death. And here's the question. I always start off with a proposition. Here's the question I want to ask you and challenge you with. When Jesus Christ returns, will you be characterized as people of faith who pray and pray persistently and never give up? Three points I want to bring to your attention that you can learn from just as much as I can learn from. First point is you have a need to pray. You could say, well, that's the obvious. Well, sometimes Christians don't understand they have a need to pray. Everything's going well in their lives. They have no need. Second point is, you serve God who not only hears, but answers prayers. And the third point, you need to pray personally, yes, but also corporately in a church gathering. Let's look at the first one. You need to pray. You have a need to pray. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 again. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. That was her need. Now this story we just read has two leading characters. A man who was a judge and a woman who was a widow. The first character is a judge. Who did not fear God nor respect man. Jesus in verse 6 profiles him and calls him an unrighteous judge. Meaning he was corrupt and dishonest. 
Unjust judges and widows were very familiar in the Middle East at, at that time, Middle Eastern cultures. And the judge in this story was as wicked as a person could get. He was not the Jewish judge, but it was a paid magistrate appointed by either Herod or the Romans. And these judges were notorious. I mean, they were notorious. They were so mean and they were so corrupt that you wouldn't want to stand before him. Unless a man had influence and money to bribe the judge, he probably would never get his case settled. William Barclay said that these judges would actually pervert justice for a dish of meat. The judge lacked two qualities which are essential for true justice. He did not fear God, nor respect man. In other words, he had no interest in the first commandment, loving God, no interest in the second commandment, loving his neighbor. He, he was the most wicked judge. There was nothing moral in this judge. The people knew he was wicked, and the worst part, he was comfortable in that. For in verse 4, he says, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. He was the worst possible human being in position of authority that would have tragic implications to anyone who stands before him in a court of law. Also, this judge was not part of a community court with elders where there was a responsibility of interpreting religious things, as the Jewish judges did. But he was part of a civil court, and these courts were in many locations in Israel at that time. Nonetheless, there was a serious responsibility to uphold the law of God even in the civil court. Any judge in Israel would have been familiar with Second Chronicles when Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, appointed judges for, for Judah and established the standard for them. We see that in Second Chronicles chapter 19, verses 6 and 7. This, is, this was the standard for judges, that even if you were in a civil court, what to live by. And it says, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. This was the standard. And this judge did not follow the standard. He was unrighteous, ungracious, unloving, unmerciful, and ungodly. He was not the kind of judge that you and I would want to stand before to decide our legal case. And this picture of such a corrupt judge is what Jesus is painting for us. He's painting to bring out a point. He's painting a picture of a corrupt judge which existed in Israel to bring out a point. The second character is a widow. The widow wanted justice and she would not stop before going before this unjudged judge until she got it. As a matter of fact, the, this parable is sometimes called the parable of the persistent widow. Many, many of you know the parable as titled like that. Widows in ancient Israel were mistreated. As a matter of fact, there were Old Testament protective laws which indicate that hardships was the widow's destiny. God himself defends the widow in Deuteronomy 10 and curses the man who withholds justice from her in Deuteronomy 27. 
And there are many other places in the Old Testament that speak about caring for the widows. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, that is still a standard for today that James is talking about. James is saying, you really want to see if your religion is pure? Take care of the orphan and take care of the widow. Nevertheless, widows were mistreated. And many times they were alone, destitute, powerless, helpless, deprived, unloved, and uncanned for. They were desperate. That's the bottom line. These widows were desperate. Another important thing to note is the courts at that time belonged exclusively to men. The only time a woman went to court when there was no man to plead her case. And this widow apparently had no man in her life. There was no one to plead her case. No one to defend her. No one to represent her. She was alone. There was only one thing she had going for her. And that was her persistence. And that she did well. My wife is persistent. Terry is persistent. These two wives are persistent. That's why Brian and I can run a church, because they're persistent. It's good to be persistent in certain areas. And verse 3 says, she kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. She had no other recourse but to take her case to the judge day after day after day with the plea, give me justice against my adversary. The phrase... Give me justice is a legal term. It means take up my case or help me to justice. Now it is possible that she's been defrauded and property or money had been taken from her, which in a widow's case would be detrimental. And in spite of the judge's reputation, she would keep coming day after day with the same request. Now in the Middle East, women were powerless in a male-dominated culture. And we know that still is largely true today. However, while they had no power, they were to be respected and honored. That sounds like an oxymoron to me, but we won't go there. They could get away with things that men could not get away with. One Middle Eastern scholar said a woman could scream and complain at the top of a voice and get away with it because women are to be honored and respected. And if a man did the same thing, he would lose his life. And I read that even today... You can see pictures in the Arabic world of women who are pleading their case by screaming and yelling. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> this is a picture of what's going on here. This widow was pleading her case relentlessly. And true to the judge's character, he refuses her. He will not give her justice. He will not give this lowly widow justice. And every day she would come and plead her case. And he would say... Next case, please, get away, get out. However, the widow's widow's relentless pleading for justice day after day began to wear him down. And guess what? He surrendered. He says in verses 4 and 5, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. See, the woman's tenacity eventually got on the judge's nerve. It got to him. 
Dr. Philip Reichen gives an appropriate illustration. He says, sometimes we can ask for something long enough and we'll get it, even if people really don't want to give us what we're asking for. He says, they realize it will cost them more not to give what we're asking for than if they give it. Children know exactly how this works, he says. At an early age, they master this. When they want something and the parents say no, they keep whining and pestering until the parent finally gives in. And this is exactly what's happening in this parable. She wore him down. Even though he neither feared God nor respected man, yet because of her continual, sometimes translated in the Greek forever, yet because of her forever coming to me, I will give her justice. Because if I don't, she's going to beat me down. The phrase in the Greek, beat me down, is a boxing term and means to strike on the face or to hit under the eye. Paul uses the same term in 1 Corinthians 9.27 where he says, I discipline my body, I keep it under control. I beat my body with fierce blows, Paul is saying, to keep it in submission. In other words, this judge feels like he's being punch drunk. He's being punched into silliness. He's saying, she's hurting me. I'm in pain. This widow went 12 rounds in the boxing match, and she gave him the final blow of persistence and knocked him out. And guess what? He surrendered. He surrendered. This weak widow, through her tenacity, defeated him and gave her justice. She needed, she had a need, and requested it that she would be granted justice and through her persistence she got it you need to pray she had a need she made it known and through her persistence she got it you have a need and you need to make it known like this poor widow who had a need and was persistent and are asking you have physical emotional and spiritual needs and you need to pray there's a saying which I think hits the nail on the head some of you may have heard of it some of you may not have heard of it seven days without prayer makes one week and it certainly does and I don't think any Christian would ever say they don't have needs and they don't need to pray I don't think any Christian in their right mind would say that But why are so many Christians deficient in prayer? They don't really have a prayer life. Probably because prayer takes discipline. It does. It takes discipline. There are quotes from great men of God who are now with Christ who deeply understood the need to pray. And I'm going to read a couple of them to you. Graham Scroge, who was a Baptist minister, he said, without time for prayer, nothing can be accomplished. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, says, he who runs from, this is, this, this I like, he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. Martin Luther, if I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. And the last one, Samuel Chadwick. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. 
He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. We have a desperate need to pray. Whether you know it or not, we have a desperate need to pray. Point one, you need to pray. You have a need to pray. Point two, you serve God who not only hears but answers prayer. Now, the key to unlock any parable usually comes at the very end. But Jesus, right on the onset, gives us the key of this parable. In other words, before Jesus tells the story, he tells them the reason for the story. Verse 1, please. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And this is the key. He's telling them this parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and never lose heart. And if I could summarize the one simple and practical point of the parable, it's this. This is about contrast. God is not like the unjust judge, which should encourage us to always pray and never give up. Why? Because he's God who hears and answers the cries of his children. By the way, verse 1 says, he told them a parable. Who is them? Exactly who was Jesus speaking to? Well, right before Jesus told this parable, he was instructing his disciples about his second coming. We're going to get into the context of this parable now. That's who he was speaking to, his disciples, his followers, those who belonged to him. But if you go back to the previous chapter, you'll understand the context of the parable. In Luke 17, we're in Luke 18, in Luke 17, verses 22 to 37, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's warning them of the approaching judgment when he returns. But before he returns, he had to do the will of his father, which is to suffer and die and rise again on the third day. Jesus came into the world the first time to save sinners. He died and rose again. But he's coming back at the end of the world and very suddenly and with eternal judgment for anyone who does not belong to him. So Jesus also wanted his disciples to understand that he was coming back, but there was going to be a period of time, a long period of time, that they needed to wait. We are still in that long period of time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Do you know what that's called? Some of you know. The already, but not yet. What is he telling them? In In the time between the first and second coming, they need to be people of faith who always pray and don't lose heart. That's the context of why Jesus was telling this parable. So back in our text, the Lord tells this parable about the widow who received her justice through her persistence, and now the Lord is going to explain the story in the context of his return. Jesus is going to give the spiritual significance of the earthly story he just told. Verses 6 and 7. I'm sorry, verses 6 to 8. <clears throat> Hear what the unjust or the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry? him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? See, verse 8 clearly tells us that it's a reference to his return. And we should probably look at verse 8 as the conclusion 
of Luke chapter 17, verses 22 to 37. In other words, if I could make it in one little pithy sentence or paragraph, I don't know. In other words, Jesus talks about his return in chapter 17, verses 22 to 37, and I encourage you to go home and read that. And then he tells them a parable about praying and not losing heart, which we just read, while they wait for his return, chapter 18, verses 1 to 7. And then concludes with a final question in verse 8. Is he going to find faith on earth at his return? See the context? Do you see the context? Okay, thank you. However, before Jesus' concluding question, he interprets the parable by showing a striking contrast between the unjust judge and God. Hear what the unjust judge says. He wants his hearers to think about the meaning of the story. Verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? In other words, if a wicked, uncaring, godless, selfless judge who doesn't care about God or man will himself hear the pleas of a pestering woman, how much more will God, who is loving, caring, and benevolent, hear the cries of his own children? The contrast between God and the unjust judge should encourage us in our prayer life. Everything God is, the unjust judge is not. God is radically different from the unjust judge. And Jesus is showing us if the lesser, the unjust judge, hears the widow's plea, the greater God will certainly hear our answer, hear us and answer our prayers. That should encourage you because it encourages me. The motive is not that God is going to cave in like the corrupt judge because of an annoying persistent widow. He's not going to cave in because we're repetitious in our prayers or because we keep coming to him, but because God cares and delights in answering the prayers of his children. That's why God answers your prayers. He wants you to be persistent. He wants you to have faith. By the way, faith you can't divorce faith and prayer. Amen. If you're prayerless, it's because you're faithless. If you're faithless, you're going to be pr pretty much prayerless. God does hear and answer our prayers. And the contrast between God and the unjust judge gives us three things that are found in God's character that encourages us to pray and not to give up and to understand that God does hear and answer prayers. And we could call these the subpoints. The subpoints of, of point two. You serve God who not only hears but answers your prayers. Why? The first one is because God is just. God's a just God. Unlike the unjust judge, God is just. Verse 7 says, And will not God give justice? Only a just God can give justice. One of the great attributes of God is his righteousness, which is, in biblical terms, the same as his justice. God is righteous and always does what is right, because he himself is a standard of what is right. Nobody tells God what to do. God makes the standard of what is right and wrong. We can become very discouraged when justice is not executed. Am I right? Yes. Okay. For example, a serial killer goes free because of some legal technicality in a court of law. Or because hostile government that persecutes Christians and churches. Or corruption in our government, which we see a lot today. Or when the system 
seems to be working in favor of the rich and neglecting the poor and needy. But we become most discouraged when we see injustice in our own lives or in the lives of our families, and there is really nothing we can do about it. Ah, but there is something we can do about it. We can pray. We have a righteous judge who gives us his word to do what is right. And in the end, God will execute justice. About 25 years ago, I needed to take a day off of my job. And I asked my supervisor, I said, can I have this day off? And he kept procrastinating. And would not give it to me, even though my name, even though no one's name was in the book. But he wouldn't give it to me. And if I remember correctly, he penciled in one of his friends and that asked for the day off, and he wouldn't give it to me, even though I had the seniority and I asked for the day off first. See, there was injustice done to me. But I held my peace, and if I know myself, this was many years ago, I prayed. The next thing I know, the supervisor got fired for falsifying payroll hours for a friend. I think it was the friend he put the name in the book. And a new supervisor was appointed. And I went to that supervisor and I said, can I have the day off? He said, sure, no problem. You see, God is just. And when injustice occurs, we don't lose heart and continue to pray. And his justice will prevail. Now, we're not going to always have results like that. But God's justice will prevail. Make no mistake about that. And when God acts and answers the cries of his elect, he does it quickly. The second thing that is found in God's character that should encourage us to believe that God does hear and answer prayer is God is not only just, but he's loving and he cares. Verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Why does God give justice to his children? Because he is just, but also because he is caring and loving. God cares and loves his, for his own and his delight to hear and respond to their cries. That's the kind of God we serve. Jesus said, Fear not, little fuck, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Does that sound like an uncaring, unloving father? Now this parable and the parable of the persistent friend in Luke 11 do not teach that the privilege of prayer is for everyone. He is not obligated to answer anyone's prayer except his children, his elect. Make no mistake about that. He's not obligated to answer the Buddhist prayer. He's not obligated to answer the Muslim prayer or the Hindu prayer or Jehovah Witnesses or the Christian science or anyone that does not know his son. But he promises to respond to the prayers of his elect, the one he knows by name, the ones he has chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He promises, if you know him, he promises to answer your prayers. As parents, we deeply desire to listen and respond to the pleas of the cries of our children no matter how old they are, because we love and care for them. We don't have this deep desire for children who do not belong to us. If I was walking in my neighborhood and a child came up to me and asked me for tuition for a school, I'd say, get lost, go ask your father. I don't know you, so don't, I'm not going to give you anything. 
Once again, God is not obligated to hear and answer the prayers of unbelievers. Only a elect have the privilege and the confidence of answered prayer. And he elected us because he loves us. God perfectly loves his children. How do we know this? Well, he sent his perfect son to die for our sins. And the, the Apostle John's first epistle, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God, through the death of his eternal Son, has now poured his love into our hearts by his spirit. And, he, and because he loves us, he genuinely cares for us. Amen. The Apostle Peter said, in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Casting all your anxieties on him. Some versions say, casting all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. The unjust judge didn't love or care for the widow, and yet he gave her justice contrary, God deeply loves us and care for his own. What does that tell you? It tells you if an unjust judge can hear the pleas of a persistent widow, how much more will God hear your prayers? I want that to encourage you tonight. I don't want that to deepen your prayer life. Let his love and care for you encourage you to pray. The third thing that is found in God's character that should encourage us to pray and not give up is this. God is wise and has a timely plan. He's not only just, he's not only loving and caring, but he's wise and has a timely plan. The Bible teaches us that God is not only all-knowing, omniscient, but he's also the all-wise God. In other words, as one commentator says, God produces the best possible results with the best possible means. He is the all-wise God, and especially in regard to his timing. We pray, we pray, we pray, and God's justice seems long delayed. But God's timing is always perfect. His, his delay doesn't not mean, his, his, I should say, his Delay does not mean denial. He will act exactly at the proper time. The unjust judge ignored and put the widow's request, put off the widow's request because he did not want to be bothered. But then he granted her request because she wore him down. However, God's seemingly delay is because he acts in his perfect time. And I believe here's where the rubber meets the road concerning not losing heart when we're praying. Are we trusting in God's wisdom to answer our prayer at the right time and the way he knows best? Reverend John Brand says it like this. It's not a case of nagging him or twisting his arm or wearing him down as in the case of the judge, but rather trusting God to come true on his promises, to hear and answer the prayers of his children, but in his time and his way. The problem for us is this. Justice may not fit our way of thinking, but God always does what is right, even though it's not what we expect, and we need to trust in his justice. Trust in the way he's going to answer our prayers. So 
So praying is not so much that I'm going to pray and God is going to give me what I want. But when I pray, I'm going to rest in God's character. That's where the rubber meets the road. Because we could pray and pray and pray and get discouraged. But are we resting in the character of God that he's, that, 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 that he's cares for us, that he's loving us, that he's wise, and he has a timely plan? Are we resting in that? Yes, the answer to our prayers may seem delayed and slow to be answered, at least to us. But we need to remember that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Timing, it, Kim and I are praying for one of our daughters for 13 years. Timing is not important to God. I mean, I should say time. It's, he's teaching us to rest in his character, and he will answer the, our prayers when he needs to answer our prayers. When he wants to answer our prayers. Not when we think he should. The Lord told Habakkuk concerning the vision he had given him. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. What does God tell us when we pray? If it seems slow, wait for it. It will come, not delay. And Peter told us here is in 2 Peter 3.9. He said, the Lord is not slow. To fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should want should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, I don't believe Luke 18 is saying that God will give us justice immediately, but when he acts, he will not delay, and he will act swiftly. Philip Ryken in his commentary on Luke says, this is what Jesus means by speedy, speedy justice. There will not be any unnecessary delay, but God will answer our prayers at exactly the time he knows they ought to be answered in the wisest way, according to what brings him the most glory. If we can only grasp that as Christians, if we can only understand that because we've been praying one month, two months, five years, ten years, if we can understand that God is still hearing our prayers, even though it's long, we'll rest. We'll still pray every day about a particular thing that we're praying about, but we'll rest. We'll have peace in our hearts. People give up. We've seen Christ Christians get discouraged. That's not what this parable is saying. God is not encouraging us to get discouraged. He's encouraged us to be encouraged. I've told this story many times, but it bears repeating, which is similar to George Mueller, but nowhere near the great faith that George Mueller had. When Christ saved me, I was eager to tell everyone about Jesus. My father, on the other hand, was not as willing to hear my faith in Christ. However, I learned to pray, not to lose heart, and I prayed for my father probably, probably 29 years. It was about two months before he died when he was in the hospital and he called me on the phone and told me he was afraid to die. He was an 89-year-old man that went through World War II, saw battles, saw all kinds of things. He was afraid to die. So I called my wife, I called Kim, and, and asked her to meet me at the hospital. He was in the nursing home. They had to ship him to the hospital because there was something wrong. He was struggling with um, COPD. 
And Kim and I went to the hospital, and there we were with my father. And we shared again, because I've told him the gospel many times, we shared again the glorious gospel of Christ, which I had shared with him for almost 29 years. However, this time was different. My dad prayed as I led him, and he asked Jesus to forgive him and to come into his life. Now I say this was different because when he got out of the hospital and back to the nursing home, the next time I went to the nursing home, the aides began to tell me, they said, your father is telling us he's not afraid to die. And he signed the do not not resuscitate papers, which he was deathly afraid of signing. And I believe what happened to my father was he was generally converted. You don't go from having fear in your heart to having peace in your heart and saying to me, he said this to me also, when's the Lord going to take me home? You, you, you don't go from having fear in your heart to peace in your heart unless God is doing that in your heart. Amen. Now I believe the peace of Christ was now in his heart and when I tell the story... I don't tell it because of me, because I pray 20. I tell it to bring glory to God. God says, keep praying. Keep praying. Don't give up. You see... The story I told about my father, it was the Lord's timetable, not mine. I, I wanted my father saved the first day I came home and told him about Jesus. And the first time I prayed, I wanted him to come, I, I wanted him to get saved. But it didn't happen, it took 29 years. And my wife, as I said before, actually praying for two of our children. One is here today, and the other two were praying for him when we're just trusting God. We're trusting in his character. And Jesus ends this parable with one final question. In the second half of verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When he comes, is he going to find faith? It's a pretty straightforward question. Will he find faith in you and me as we live in between his first and second comings? Listen, the fruit of genuine faith is this. We're always praying and we never lose heart. Augustine said, when faith fails, prayer dies. In order to pray, then, we must have faith. Then Dr. Kent Hughes says, Jesus was saying that continual prayer until he comes is not only the evidence of faith, but the means of building faith until he returns. I love that. (laughs) Right? I love that. That is fantastic. So... If we have faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, his justice, his love, and and, and care, and his wisdom, we will not give up praying, and there will be no need to lose heart. Point one, you have a need to pray. Point two, you serve God who not only hears, but answers prayer. And point three, the final point, you need to pray personally and corporately. Verse one says, they ought... Jesus said, they ought always to pray and never to lose heart. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's talking to them. This is plural. All his disciples. But there's no doubt in my mind that he means that they should not only pray personally, but corporately. 
Okay? Corporate prayer is important too. It's not just about me, I'm going to pray, you know, I'm going to go into my private prayer closet and pray myself. But this is about praying with the church. The scriptures are replete with personal and corporate prayer. For example, Jesus taught on personal prayer in Matthew 6.6. 6. He said, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. We read of Jesus praying privately many times in the Bible. That was his heart, to commune with his father. And I hope that's your heart, to commune with your father. It's important that we have regular prayer life, where we spend time with the Lord each day. We also see regular corporate prayer practiced by the New Testament church in Acts. For example, in Acts 2, verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of breaking of the bread and prayers. Again, in Acts 12, 5, when Peter was in prison, it says, but earnest prayer for him was made by the, uh, by, to God by the church. So that gives me time here to push for Thursday night prayer. <laughs> Come. Amen. You know, some Brian changed, you know when Jesus said to his disciples when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, can you not pray with, with me for one hour? Well, Brian changed it. Can you not pray for me for 50 minutes? 55 minutes. Listen. Okay, I'm going to make a plug for prayer. No guilt. But I want the Holy Spirit to convict you, not me. One hour we pray. This is so important. You have no idea. This is the blood of the church, is prayer. We could do all the Bible studies we want. Remember what that quote I, I read to you? The devil trembles when we pray. Come. One hour. I understand. Sometimes it's hardships. Sometimes you get out of work late. Sometimes it's families. We understand that. If you're a family, husband, let your wife go one week and you go the next week. And you stay with the children. However you can work it out. Work it out. Come. Join us. Pray. Please. I'm pleading with you. It's, it's that important. So let me give you some practical, applicable points. Once again, this parable is not about nagging God until you wear God down and get what you want. No, it's about contrast. God is not at all like the unjust judge who was unloving, uncaring, does not respect God or man, yet gives his widow justice. If this is true, then how much more will God give us justice? That's the point here. How much more will God answer our prayers? So let me encourage you as we close, as we begin to close, to, to, for us to be tenacious in our prayer life. Here's some practical points. First on individual prayer that we persist in. Pray for God's protection against Satan's attacks. We have an enemy that roams around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you and me and the church. When we experience injustice in the sinful world, we, we pray and we don't give up. When we need to repent of our sins or struggle with remaining sin, we pray. When we have stress and anxiety in a fast-paced world, we pray. Pray for the needs of others. And the list can go on and on. I'm just giving you some points over here. Secondly, we persist in prayer with others. We persist in prayers regularly with our families. Families, you need to pray together. Husbands and wives, you need to pray together. We, we persist in prayer with close friends. 
close Christian friends. You, you need prayer partners. You need prayer partners. Or with small Bible study groups. Or we persist in prayer with the corporate prayer life of the local church, which for us it's Thursday nights. Whether individual or corporately, we need to pray on a regular basis and not to give up even when we are tempted to quit because we may think it really doesn't matter. It does matter. We also need to pray for the persecuted church abroad. We're shielded over here. There are Christians abroad that are suffering terribly because of their faith in Christ. I could speak more on that, but I'm not going to talk about that now. Some of us may be persecuted because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe it's because some other injustice being done to us. We need to pray. The Bible is we replete with persevering prayers of the people of God. The Old Testament saints prayed fervently. The New Testament saints prayed fervently. The Son of God prayed frequently and fervently. And, and throughout the centuries up to our present day, men and women of God prayed persistently and didn't lose heart. And let's follow the examples of those who went before us. And finally, I think we must be a community of believers that prays for Christ's return. And you know, by the way, that's reflected in the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me conclude here. When Christ returns, or if we should die first, will he find us faithful? Will, will we be known as the Christian who prayed? Dr. James Dobson was a preacher. His father, I'm sorry, Dr. James Dobson's father was a preacher. And when he died, they inscribed on his tombstone one thing. He prayed. That's what he was known for. He was known for a man of faith who prayed. So let's not be a Christian or community of believers who because of our prayerlessness in effect is saying the unjust judge is more righteous than God. At least the unjust judge heard the widow's plea, didn't he? When we don't pray, you know what we're basically saying? God will not listen to me. Let me end with a quote from Dr. Kent Hughes. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Yes, he will, if we have learned to live a life of prayer in the not yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these great examples. Not only God in the text itself, where Jesus encourages us to never lose heart, to pray persistently, and to encourage us that you will hear our prayer. You will answer our prayer speedily. But also the examples throughout the centuries of people who prayed. Thank you, Father. Let it encourage us to be a people who pray not only personally, not only spend time personally with you on a regular basis, but corporately as a church. We want to see change, God, but we need to pray. In Christ's name, amen.